The Hammer Podcast will not be heard this month. In its place, we give you the following special presentation. At this point, you are probably expecting the Legends of the Superheroes opening. Well, I have a few things to take care of before we get to that. First, and I have to say most important, is I need to tell you that this episode is brought to you by the generosity of Tim Elliott. Tim made a donation recently to Two True Freaks, and he said it needs to be split between these six shows. And I'm really happy to say that the Hammer Podcasts was one of those shows. Now, I've only been doing this for less than a year, and to have someone like Tim, who is a loyal supporter of the network, and my shows in particular, give a donation like that, it, it really makes me feel good and proud of what I'm doing here. So thank you very much, Tim. And if any of you would like to make a donation to help out this or any other of the Two True Freaks shows, you can just go to twotruefreaks.com and click on the PayPal link. Now, second, I have to thank Sean Engel. Sean was my guest on this show, and this was recorded shortly after Skype decided to force itself to update on my computer, meaning that the Skype recorder that I normally used didn't work. And we didn't find this out until after the recording was done. Luckily, though, Sean is a consummate professional. Well, as professional as you can get without being paid. And he had his own recorder going. So the only reason that you're actually hearing this episode in this form is that Sean was smart enough to actually be recording. So let me throw a few promos in here and then on with Legends of the Superheroes. Hi folks, Sean Ingle here. And Strange Disembodied Voice here. And we're here to talk about the new direction going on over at Just One of the Guys, a Green Lantern podcast. Like our in-depth coverage of the Howard Chaikin pen, Guy Gorker, collateral damage. No, because that book was utter sh. But we are moving into the Judd Winnick run on Green Lantern, where we'll get stories about psychotic ring wielders, teenage sexual identity issues, and Kyle becoming a nearly godlike being. And yet, still not as weird as Guy Gardner's warrior face. Yeah, you may have a point there. Plus, we'll be covering the ancillary books that came out at the same time, including Circle of Fire, A Thousand and One Emerald Knights, The Black Circle Green Arrow Crossover, and so much more. Which would easily make up for not covering collateral damage. Also, if you're subscribing to the show via iTunes, be sure to go to Two True Freaks Presents Just One of the Guys to make sure you get new episodes updated weekly. So, they kicked you off the main feed? No, they just streamlined it, so the two True Freaks proper shows would only be on it. Are you sure it's not because Scott doesn't want a Green Lantern podcast on the network? Uh, no. In fact, he's spoken very glowingly about the show. I mean, he's even offered to come on into a guest bit. He said he really likes it, and despite his fact that he doesn't like Green Lantern all that much, he's come check out Just One of the Guys over at TwoTrueFreaks.com and subscribe in iTunes at Two True Freaks Presents Just One of the Guys. You'll be glad you did, or double your money back. I have called you all here today, at the behest of Don DiManzo, to discuss the expansion of our Jersey territory. Our Don has seen an opportunity to move into Atlantic City at an event called AC Boardwalk Con, which will be happening May 14th through the 17th, 2015. 
Don DiManzo has asked that some of our made men attend this convention and convince the locals to try Two True Freaks. Joining me, Gene Hendricks, on this trip will be my Quantum Cast cohort, Jeff Fishman. Chris Tyler, the hair metal hero, will be representing the Boston arm of the family, while Scott McGregor will be representing the New York branch. Our capo, Chris Honeywell, will also be there to provide some added persuasion. Your Don has asked that any of his loyal friends in the area come and pay their respects to this new endeavor. He reminds you that all the information on the event can be found at doacbc.com. That's doacbc.com. Come help us make Atlantic City an offer they can't refuse. Legends of the Superheroes! For centuries, the world has been protected by a group of extraordinary men and women who have dedicated themselves to fighting crime. Greetings, and welcome to Legends of the Superheroes, a production of TheHammerStrikes.com, where we look at the live-action versions of your favorite comic book characters. I'm Gene Hendricks, and with me today is one of the Two True Freaks affiliated podcasters, Mr. Sean Engel. How you doing, Sean? I'm doing pretty well. Thanks for having me on for this show, Gene. Oh, thank you, Sean. And everyone listening probably already knows what we're going to be talking about, and that would be the 2011 movie Green Lantern. Mm-hmm. And if the Facebook response to my posting that I got the DVD of the movie is anything to go by, this is kind of a polarizing movie, and I don't understand why myself. Yeah... I can understand why it's polarizing because a lot of people felt kind of upset when this came out because I don't think that it lived up to the standards that they wanted. I think because Jeff Johns had such a seminal run on Green Lantern at the time and Green Lantern was one of the big selling comics over at DC, I think people thought that that would translate to an enormous box office movie. Plus, you've got uh, an incredible director and Martin Campbell coming to do the movie. You've got Mark Guggenheim, who would go on to do the Arrow show and the Flash show, which I think are some of the best comic book adaptations on TV as of now. Oh, I agree. And you've got Ryan Reynolds, who was just at the time voted the sexiest man in America, a big name star coming in to play this. It, it really looked interesting. And for some reason, it just didn't work. And I think this would be a great opportunity to get to talk about the things that do work about the film and maybe discuss some of the things about why it didn't really work. I don't feel that this is a polarizing film as, say, Man of Steel. I think it's just that people's expectations were much higher. I don't think it has some of the negatives that Man of Steel has, but I do think that in some ways it is a flawed film. I agree, definitely. It's uh, it's one of those things where you go in expecting a certain thing. And I have to say, some of my expectations were met. There were some parts of this movie that I just looked at and said, yes, brilliant, you did a great job right there. And then there were others that was just like, I looked at it like, why? Why did you do it that way? Just one of the things, at least on the positive side for me, was the Green Lantern Corps themselves. Oh, yes. You know, the aliens that they came up with, the voice actors for uh, 
Tomare and Kilowog just spot on. Yeah, Jeffrey Rush and uh, Michael Clark Duncan were pretty much made to play these roles. I, in fact, the voiceover at the beginning with Jeffrey Rush giving the uh, synopsis of what the Green Lantern Corps is, I think pretty much set up the movie. That was the perfect way that you could get this sort of abstract concept out there because people know Superman, people know Batman, people know Spider-Man. Green Lantern is one of those characters that they may know of, but they don't know much of. And having Jeffrey Rush give that narration at the beginning to give people the idea of what they're going to be seeing in this movie was a definitely great way to set up the movie, I think. Oh, yeah. I mean, you needed some type of plot exposition, and that was just the perfect way to go about it. With the visuals of going through the universe and how the, the galaxies and the clouds and everything formed the faces or the objects, it was just, it was brilliant. And I know there are a lot of people out there that don't like the movie Green Lantern costume, and I agree it has a few too many lines on it. But I like the idea that it was a fully CGI costume because it's supposed to be created by the ring. It's supposed to be an energy construct. So it should look like it isn't quite real. Mm -hmm. And I agree. I do have my problems with the uniform. I think it was a bit because I enjoyed the the original Gil Kane from the Silver Age created Green Lantern uniform. I do think this was a bit busy, but I do agree with you. I like the idea of the costume or the uniform being a construct of the ring that this is just something that appears whenever the lantern needs to go from his normal day everyday guys into being the hero green lantern yeah i i, I just have to leave it at that i agree the design was just it was too busy that was that was the big thing right i know why they did it really they wanted to show some way when they're using the ring more, so you have the light, the lines lighting up with the green energy when they're using the ring. It's just it didn't it didn't quite work the way they intended. Yeah. I don't. I, I think I think they were also trying to go because at the time in the comics, what they were doing was uh, when the lanterns would use their energy, you'd see the Green Lantern symbol on their chest sort of pop off and have an energy symbol in front of it. So if they could have done something like that, I know uh, when Ryan Reynolds was doing things, the, the lantern symbol on his chest would sort of glow a bit more. So I think that was kind of an analog to what they were doing. The, the, the design element in the movie was just a little bit different from what the design element of the comic. Right, yeah. Speaking of Ryan Reynolds, as we get there, mm -hmm. I think with the stuff he was given, I will get into my issues with that later, but with the stuff he was given, I think he did a great job in the performance. A lot of people try and say he was this goofy guy, and, you know, like he, he stereotyped to be a lot in a lot of his roles. I think he did a great job, especially with the serious moments of it. Yes, uh, especially if you take a look at the scene where he's come back from Earth, he knows that Parallax is coming, and he's talking with the Guardians and Sinestro on the Guardian Citadel or whatever. He is Hal Jordan. He portrays Hal Jordan in the way that I think the character has been in the comic books. It's only when Ryan Reynolds is not being specifically Hal Jordan like moments where it's him and Blake Lively in the bar. Mm. Uh, unfortunately, I think the moments where it's him and Blake Lively, he's being more Ryan Reynolds than he is being Hal Jordan. But when he's having to be Hal Jordan, when he's having to be heroic, when he's having to take on the role of the Green Lantern, I think he pulls it off really well. 
I know a lot of people were like, oh, it needed to be Nathan Fillion, or I know Bradley Cooper was bandied about as well. But I think Ryan Reynolds did a good job, and it's disappointing that this movie was just so poorly received, because I think now, when they do the reboot supposedly in 2020 i think it would be really great to see a more mature ryan reynolds in that role as green lantern but you know well that's for another day to see if that happens right yeah i mean that that would be interesting seeing him with the uh the white temples but oh yeah since, since parallax was destroyed how could he get the white temples oh you go <laughs> don't don't get me started on Jeff Johns. That, that'll be something we'll get to when we get to our negatives. Right, yes. Blake Lively, as far as the Carol Ferris character, as I know her, I'm not as big into that era of Green Lantern. I know, I know it's not your primary focus either, but from what I know of Carol Ferris, I think she nailed it. I think she got the businesswoman versus fighter pilot aspect to the character, Seeing through the mask on Hal was a great turnaround. Yes, that was that was brilliant because really, aside from the Kyle Rayner crab mask, which covered a, a majority of his face, mm -hmm. the little domino mask really doesn't do anything, especially when you're close up to the person. You know, I, I can understand the flash. He's got the full face mask and he's able to modify his voice through wave amplification or whatever. Mm -hmm. But Hal is just got a domino mask on. You can see his hair, you can see his face, you can kind of hear his voice, even if he does sort of, you know, deepen it to try and make it sound kind of Batman-y. But that was brilliant, and I'm glad that she saw through it in just a couple of minutes. And I love the line as well, you know, I've seen you naked. <laughs> you know, that, and I agree. Blake Lively did do a great job of playing Carol Ferris. She was strong. Yet she was sensitive. She she was incredibly attractive. I think Blake Lively did an amazing job in this. And, you know, unfortunately, she was kind of hindered in the role as well. I mean, th that's kind of the thing that we've seen. You know, the actors were, were just not given the best scripts or the best lines or the best, you know, motivation to do this. So that, I think, is one of the failings in the movies. Because the characters in general, I thought, were really great in this. Oh, yeah, I agree. And... Going with the other member of the, the classic Hal Jordan cast, uh, we had Tom. They never mentioned his last name, I don't believe. Yeah, I don't know if they ever called him Kalmaku, but I am very happy that the uh, the pseudonym of Pie Face never came in. <laughs> Because that's always been a sticking point for me in reading the Green Lantern books, especially since the since the connotation of the word pie face does have sort of a negative and sometimes almost racist aspect to it. Mm -hmm. It's it's essentially, if you don't know, it's because in the comics, Tom Kalmaku was Inuit or Eskimo. So back in the uh, Silver Age, Tom would call him pie face as in Eskimo pie, which was just for the time, it was just one of those things where, you know, we weren't thinking all that much. And now it just with our modern day sensibilities, it seems kind of insensitive. But for, for his role, he was a nice bit of humor. I know the character who plays Tom Kalmaku is one of the members, I think, of Flight of the Concords. And I'm, I really haven't, don't have that much experience with them. I've heard some of their songs, which are hilariously funny, but I haven't watched much of their show. But that's one of the things I think this movie did or was trying to do to separate it from the previous 
DC outings that came out, and plus the, the DC comics at the time. This movie was trying to interject a little bit of humor. I think they wanted to sort of capture what Iron Man had kind of done and making it a bit more fun movie than the sort of grim and gritty versions of DC characters that we had got recently in Batman Begins and The Dark Knight. And I, I think that was an admirable thing to do. Yeah, oh, I, I agree. And the, normally he's in the comics, he's supposed to be an actual hands-on mechanic. And here he was more of an aerospace engineer. And I think that was a nice change for him because it means he's not just this grunt who only Hal knows and only Hal talks to. He's he's an integrated part of Ferris Air and high enough that he's there for the uh, presentation of this new experimental robot fighter. And you can see exactly where his loyalties lie when Hal beats his fighter and he jumps up and says yes and then looks around like oh, I'm not supposed to be happy. I mean <laughs> damn it. <laughs> yeah, I, I thought again, he you know, the character of Tom Kalmaku in in the comics is one of those that I'm kind of cold on, but in this movie he was he was an enjoyable addition to it. And like I said, it was a nice addition of some comedy into this. You know, like I said, we'd had Batman and the Dark Knight, two very very dark movies especially dealing with the dark knight and the joker and mm -hmm. you know the kind of grim character that he was it was an attempt by dc to sort of put some fun into their comic book characters and i think in some places you know especially with the addition of this character from fly of the concords playing tom kalmaku i think it worked rather well i agree i agree i i would like to see more stuff from dc with a little bit of humor in, interjected in it mm -hmm. um the other character that we haven't mentioned yet uh is uh, well, we've got a couple more characters. We've got, uh, of course, uh, Hector Hammond, who is played by Peter Sarsgaard, who I think would have been the character I would have liked to see be the main villain in this. I agree. I, I thought that Hector Hammond as a villain was completely wasted in this movie. If, mm -hmm. if they had just taken where his arc was going, it didn't have to be he was infected by Parallax. I believe in uh, the Jeff Johns comics, he was affected by Abensor's spaceship's drive fuel or something and that's okay. what causes mutation and that would have worked very well and just keep going with that and as his mental powers get bigger and bigger and bigger then he becomes this world shaking threat you don't need the parallax stuff in it and the ending for his character in the movie just being killed like that before he became the uber bad guy of green lantern it's a waste, in my opinion. Yes, I, I fully agree with that. I think, if you don't mind, I'll get into the one real negative that I think has the film is Parallax and the inclusion of Parallax. I think the decision to go to essentially the biggest threat that Green Lantern has ever faced in your first movie is doing a big disservice to the movie. If they would have spent time focusing in on Hector Hammond's character, and I think Peter Sarsgaard did a great job of playing this sort of, this character who was very isolated and very uncomfortable and the sort of he was kind of an analog for the nerdy people who like to watch this movie the, the some of those people who aren't as outward as say carol ferris or hal jordan mm -hmm. so it gave us as viewers a sort of endpoint and gave us uh, ability to sympathize with him and the fact that they decided to rely on the big bad in the comics at the time of parallax rather than hector hammond and established green lantern villain was just kind of a disappointment for me because, like I said, develop that character more, do an interesting, more Earth-based character for your first movie, and then move out into space and move out to the bigger problems in the next couple of movies. I think this would have worked a lot better. I agree. I agree. And 
Parallax is also one of the two major negatives I have on this movie, and it's partially because of his inclusion as, you know, the big bad villain, but also because they decided they wanted to go and make him Galactus from Rise of the Silver <laughs> Surfer. Well, and they also wanted to sort of tie him in, and I don't understand this, to the character of Krona, the uh, lost guardian from mm. uh, from uh, Prices on Infinite Earth. I mean, as much as I'm kind of hit or miss... As I've said before on my show, I haven't read all of Jeff Johns' run on Green Lantern. I'm not a hater of Jeff Johns, but sometimes I'm not a fan. And the fact that they took, first of all, the character of Parallax, which was just supposed to be Hal Jordan, who went crazy because Coast City got destroyed, then later got integrated to this entity of fear, which then later got expanded on to these various entities that are the source of the Green Lantern, uh, various different cores, but the, that they, dis, they they felt that they needed to include him in this. It was just, it felt more of Jeff Johns's wanting to put his story into the Green Lantern movie rather than letting the, the entirety of the Green Lantern mythos play out. It felt too much like Jeff Johns manipulating the movie. Yeah, I'm, the problem is it didn't even come out to be his take on Parallax either. It was this, I, I watched the movie recently. I only saw, I saw it twice in preparation for the show. Before that, the only time I saw it actually was in the theater when I went to see it. And it, I think it speaks to the movie in it. I didn't feel, an, I didn't hate it. I didn't say, I never want to see this again. It was just one of those, well, that was okay. Mm -hmm. I never had a, an urge to see it. And part of that was when I was in the theater watching it and they have Hector Hammond on Earth, powerful, communicating this uber powerful cloud ready to destroy the Earth. I'm thinking, oh, somebody l really liked Rise of the Silver Surfer and they decided to do a Galactus Silver Surfer thing if the Silver Surfer didn't go good. <laughs> Because that's what it is. It, he Hector Hammond's the Herald of Parallax. Yes. Yeah, that's a good. That's a very good analog there. Yeah. And I don't like that. It's it's not good for the story. It's not good for the characters. And it made for a oh he beat the most powerful thing in the universe that the entire Green Lantern Corps couldn't handle on his own. Now what? Mm -hmm. You know, I I understand with other movies you you see, and I think saying something positive about the Nolan films in the first Nolan film in Batman Begins he doesn't go up against the Joker he goes up against the Scarecrow yes an interesting Batman villain it's not one of the major ones but it gives him something to start off with mm -hmm. now in Man of Steel because it's Superman you can have him going up against Zod especially in Man of Steel with it being a sort of he he's not comfortable being Superman yet and you can you know and despite the things that people are upset about that film you see that this Superman is just learning the ropes he's not the superman that we've come to know who's had 75 years of experience so i can understand them going up uh, those two films for example the the villains they have in this in green lantern you don't have him go up with the one who caused him in the comics to go bat guano insane and try and restructure the entire universe plus also having sinestro at the end turn for no reason, was also kind of one of those things. Mm -hmm. Now, now we didn't get to talk, uh, and this is another positive I do have about the film, we didn't really get to talk about Sinestro yet. I think Mark Strong was superb 
superlative as Sinestro. I think he played it great. He had that sort of air of superiority and smugness that I love in the character of Sinestro. As goofy as I thought the training sequence is with him and uh, Hal Jordan fighting with the swords and everything, Mm -hmm. I love the way he portrayed himself and the way he held himself during that, is that this isn't... Uh, this is this isn't causing me any effort to do this, which is how I like watching Sinestro do things. Whenever Sinestro is doing constructs or everything, I always see him just standing there with his arms folded, letting the ring work for him. Right. And that's kind of how uh, Strong portrayed him. I, I would have liked to have seen more with Mark Strong as a Green Lantern. I would have liked to have seen more with uh, the core as well, to see some of these secondary characters rather than just Kilowog and Tomar Ray. There were a lot of uh, little cameo Green Lanterns in there. I, I tried looking online for some, but one of the ones that I saw were like Stell, uh, Isamat, there was Chrisma, who was the butterfly one, there was Boudicca, mm-hmm. uh, Gallius Zed, the sort of mad ball head one you kind of saw in the background. It was mm-hmm. It was nice to see that, and I think that would have helped make the movie a bit more expansive by giving you the idea that this wasn't just one superhero, which is right. the focus of what Green Lantern's supposed to be. Yeah, and I think that was part of the failing of the movie is they tried to put too much in. If they had focused on Hector Hammond or they focused on the Green Lantern Corps or they focused on Sinestro, it would have gone much, much better. It was just, you got the feeling that they figured we're not getting a sequel. Let's get as much in as possible. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that was a benefit to the movie. It was great for us. It was great for us to see all these little bits, but it didn't aid the movie. I mean, if, if they cut out some of the... Hal Jordan, not Green Lantern scenes on Earth and focus more on maybe a training thing. I mean, even even if they just did a training montage, I know that sounds incredibly 80s, but you get the feeling that he beat Parallax with five minutes of training with Kilwag and getting yelled at by Sinestro. And that's just a little a little too much for me, you know? Yeah, I agree. I understand that they wanted it's kind of a trope of films that you have to have, you want to get as much audience as you can. Mm -hmm. So in order to bring in the female audience, you feel that you need to have some sort of relationship aspect for the movie. And that, I think, was one of the things that hindered this movie. It's not that I don't like the relationship between uh, Carol and Hal, and and to that that aspect between uh, Ryan Reynolds and Blake Lively. I thought they had really good chemistry, but I think that did take away from what we specifically needed in a Green Lantern action film of them having to train Hal Jordan, having to deal with the core and getting more into this. I think if they would have you know, taken out just a couple of the scenes or taken a little bit away from a couple of scenes of Hal and Carol on Earth and their relationship and put a bit more into the training to dealing with the core, I think that would have improved the film quite a bit. Oh, yeah, definitely. And, I mean, really... Uh... This come now. I I think this is where I'm going to get into my other negative, and this it because we're talking about Hal and everything. Is it just me? And it could be me, you know. But I I don't think they quite got Hal Jordan right. I mean, they got him in the scene with the Guardians. That's classic Hal Jordan. But isn't wasn't Hal picked because he was without fear? Mm-hmm. He wasn't a coward. 
And that's what this movie portrayed him as. It's, oh, I'm afraid of failing. No, this is how Jordan. He fails because he goes in without thinking, because he's not afraid of the consequences. He's, yes. not, he's not sitting there in his apartment having Carol Ferris saying, no, idiot, stand up and get a spine. <laughs> no, that is true. I think that is one of the ways that they didn't get the character of Hal right. I think he, he's a test pilot. He's arrogant. He's... He's willing to go in half-cocked and do things without really thinking things out. That's the character of Hal Jordan that I know. And it's, for what I've read of it, it's the character that Jeff Johns tried to portray of Hal Jordan, of this very sure-of-himself person who will sometimes go off and just do something and hope that things work out without really thinking it through. Yeah, it, it was a, a misstep for me, anyway. Yeah, I agree. Uh, you know, the fact that it's Carol Ferris who, ha who has to tell Hal, well, it's not because you're fearless. It's that because you're, you have the ability to overcome fear. I'm like, that's the same thing. <laughs> you know, uh, you know, being fearless doesn't mean that you don't have any realization that what you're doing could harm you. It means that you have the ability to overcome that and look through it and, and do it anyway. Uh, yeah, I agree. That was my other big negative for the movie. When they didn't get Hal Jordan right, they didn't get him right spectacularly. And I don't think it was necessarily Ryan Reynolds, I think. And this would be my big negative, aside from the inclusion of Parallax. And this kind of ties into it. And this may be controversial because I don't hate the guy. But I think the emphasis of putting as much of Jeff John's ideas into the movie was somewhat to the detriment of it. I was able to watch this. I've got this actually on Blu-ray at my home, and I've got the extended cut, and I watched the extended cut. And I don't know if uh, your DVD had the extended cut, but all the extended cut really does is it has the scene where young Hal, Hector, and uh, Carol watch the uh, explosion of Martin Jordan's plane. Oh, no. No, mine, mine is... I have the theatrical release, apparently, and the only the only thing about the explosion in that is Hal getting knocked back. Yeah, they've got the little cutscene with that. This, they have a sort of... The only inclusion, it's like a seven or eight minute scene of him dealing with his father and talking with him. And, you know, the you get a little bit more interaction between Carol and uh, Hector and Hal. And you get, uh, oh, what's his name? Tim Robbins with a hair dye job. So he looks mm. younger. But uh, other than that, it's it doesn't really add all that much to the thing. But I think the emphasis of. Uh, but uh, going back to that, in the, in the Blu-ray, they didn't have audio commentary, which I would have loved because I think Martin Campbell was a great director. If you don't know, Martin Campbell prior to this had done GoldenEye and Casino Royale, some of the best uh, prior to this uh, Bond movies out there. Mm. He had also done uh, the two Zorro movies with Antonio Banderas and Catherine Zeta-Jones, which I think were just phenomenal action films, really good pulpy films. So I thought he was a good director for this, but they didn't have him doing an audio commentary for this. Instead, on the Blu-ray, they had this thing called Maximum Movie Mode. Which was just basically a bunch of on-screen clips of Jeff Johns going around to the set and talking with production designers and talking with uh, cast members about the movie. And you get the feeling that a lot of people felt that they needed to do what Jeff Johns wanted to do rather than their own imagination for the movie. Mm. And I think that's kind of what hindered the film. 
you know, like I said, I'm not trying to rip on Jeff Johns, but I think if they would have just took a Green Lantern story, if they even would have took, say, even Jeff Johns' secret origins for Green Lantern, which, again... Can't, can't say I've read, but uh, if they would have taken the uh, the secret origin that Gerard Jones or that um oh the the Emerald Dawn storyline uh who did that I want to say it started out with a uh, Christopher Priest and then Keith Giffen came into it. If they would have done that and adapted that, I think that would have been as effective a story. There would have been a lot of space hopping in it. There would have been an interesting villain that wasn't specifically as powerful as Parallax, and I think it would have resonated more with the general audience and then kept the you know uh, comic book and green lantern fans happy as well mm-hmm. i agree yeah it's again i like some of the things jeff johns has done i dislike some of the things jeff johns has done and that's not just with green lantern it's across the the board with dc but you put somebody in charge as what what's his title creative director or something I like think that it's creative operations officer maybe i know he's 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 a big muckety-muck working not only with the comics, but with, like, the entertainment. Maybe creative entertainment officer. Some weird made-up title. Yes. But anyway, you put someone in charge like that, you have to make sure they realize, okay, you were a writer. When you were a writer, you were doing things for yourself and your take on things. Now that you're in charge of all of this, you have to move beyond that. You have to look at the history. You have to look at other people's contributions and put them in with equal weight as yours. Or maybe even more if, if you're talking about some of the classic creators, like like you were saying, with the Gil Kane version of the suit is that is the green lantern uniform that everybody can look at and say yeah that's green lantern Mm -hmm. you know so you have to i think i don't know if this how early this was in his tenure as being in charge but he may have just shoved too much of his own stuff in there just because he was in the position to do so well and at the time this was this was when green lantern was one of the biggest selling titles you know we're coming off blackest night which was Whatever your take on Blackest Night, it was a big selling event for the Green Lantern books. And also, I don't want to say this, but there was a lot of going on with the Superman comic, and especially with the lawsuit between the Schusters and uh, DC Mm -hmm. kind of concerned whether Superman would have been a property that they could hang on to, that they were... And I've heard other people postulate this, that this might have been DC trying to hedge their bets and getting a big name superhero out there in case Superman had to go away. Thankfully, they worked out something where that wouldn't happen. But I think, yes, that Jeff Johns decided to promote Green Lantern and specifically his version of Green Lantern for this movie over the near 70 years of Green Lantern history that they had prior to that. And, you know, say, say 45 to 50 years that he had of the Silver Age stuff was one of the big detriments for this movie yeah it's just one of the things that if you watch the movie just as a movie which that's usually how i end up talking to my wife about it because she doesn't know anywhere near as much as i do about these things although she she reads comic books and stuff so she she knows a little bit she can look at it and say oh well that was a cool movie where i'm sitting there like no they shouldn't have done that Mm -hmm. and so i think Part of the problem, and this again, this is this goes back to just the general attitude. It seems for me, you know, I'm I'm stuck in my 80s and 90s mindset, but it seems like the comic companies now are we need a new audience, so screw everybody that's already buying it, and mm-hmm. that's that's kind of how this movie was. It's like, yeah, well, 
yeah, it's a, it's Green Lantern. We got some of the stuff you like, but we're just going to change things regardless of what you think. And it 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 leads it leaves a little bit of a bad taste in my mouth, which which is why I say I like the movie. I'm not a I'm not a huge fan of the movie. I don't dislike it. I just I like it. Well, and as for comic book movies, like I said at the beginning, this was kind of a switch for DC. They they hadn't really had a fun DC Comics property in a while. Like I said, prior to this, we had the two Batman films coming mm-hmm. up. And then prior to that, I'm trying to think DC Films Catwoman, which, <laughs> which is probably best not remembered. And, you know, they had some other things. I know they had uh, they had Steel and then Superman 4 prior to this. Mm. So their, their track record for enjoyable, fun movies wasn't good. And the road that they were going down in the comics was a much darker road and the road that they were going down in the films with the nolan films was a much darker road i think it was a noble effort for them to try and do a more comedic a more fun loving type movie but i think the inclusion of the character of parallax and that emphasis on trying to keep the ideas that jeff johns or that the comic books were doing at the time definitely belied the fun feel of the movie it, it just diminished it in some way right yeah uh... Okay, enough with the negatives. Let's get back down some positives. <laughs> um, one of the other characters that we didn't uh, talk about and who I think was kind of woefully underused was uh, Angela Bassett as Amanda Waller. And first of all, I just want to say, you know, I like Angela Bassett because I think she is an incredibly attractive woman. and I love to see her in the role. But unfortunately, she also falls into that sort of New 52, you know, revitalization of the characters where she's no longer this just very large woman. She has to be attractive. Mm. You know, n- not that I mind because Angela Bassett is attractive. <laughs> but I, I enjoyed her addition of the character in, in the movie. I liked it. And it, it also set up the idea that there could be, you know, it also sort of set up the DC universe as well. You've got the person who's going to be behind the Suicide Squad here. So I enjoyed seeing her in the movie. Yeah, I I like the fact that Angela Bassett was there. She's a great actress. Love her, you know, seeing seeing her in whatever role. I don't know if it had to be Waller, though, because Waller isn't a scientist, She's a political mover and shaker. That that's how she is in, in every other iteration. This one they decided to make her a scientist, and it's it's like they only did it for the name drop, in my opinion. I, I don't I understand you know where you're coming from. That's uh, expanded DC universe stuff. You could have put Victor Stone's mother mm. in that role. You know, for those of you that don't know, and why you're listening to this. I, Not knowing this, I don't know. But the uh, Victor Stone is cyborg, and both his parents were scientists. So if you had his mother as that doctor, you could also see, you know, the flashes like you got with Hammond. And then if she ended up dying, that adds to the cyborg character that you have in another movie later on. We hope. Which, you know, they do have, surprisingly, they do have scheduled for, you know, 2018 or something like that. So mm-hmm. there there will be a cyborg movie coming up. Yeah, I agree. I, I think they tried to put her in as a sort of, if they wouldn't have made the emphasis of her being a scientist and would have just made her a sort of manipulative X-Files type government agent, I think that would have worked better. Yeah, like just saying she she was in charge of the project. Not, not introducing herself as Dr. Amanda Waller. Just, I'm Amanda 
Noir, I'm in charge here. Mm -hmm. That's all. You you do that, I'm perfectly fine with it. Of course, I would, you know, all respect to Angela Bassett, I would have preferred to see, like, someone more of the build of Nell Carter in the role, but that's just me. Well, no. And I, like I said, I think that's, it's just kind of the path that DC has taken, uh, not only in the comics, but in the TV shows. If you look at everyone on Arrow and Flash, Mm -hmm. They are remarkably attractive. There's not a person on there who's really... You're, you're not going to see a person who's going to look like the traditional Amanda Waller, which I guess is, you know, kind of a statement on the, you know, the, 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 the body type images that uh, not only Hollywood, but the mass media has. But if they could have found someone, and I think Nell Carter is a good example, unfortunately. Is is Nell Carter still around? Am I thinking? No, no, no she, she died a few years ago. That's what I'm thinking. So, you know, yeah, there could be there could be other people who are uh, women of large size who could have played her. But, you know, I think Angela Bassett is a good actress, and I think mm -hmm. she, she played the role as admirably but she just doesn't have the specific body type for the character right and you know that's that's a minor thing mm -hmm. you know it's she did a great job as the character so i'm i'm happy with it and i have to say also someone who did a great job and i i don't know if he's actually in the comics but tim robbins was amazing mm -hmm. he he doesn't play scum that often and in this he was really really good at it yeah he I like Tim Robbins as an actor. I have to sometimes divorce him uh, from his uh, actual persona as Tim Robbins because a lot of times, like a lot of Hollywood people, he gets this sort of attitude of, you know, oh, well, this is what you should do. I think the politics sometimes plays in. But mm -hmm. when he's when he's playing a character, I really enjoy him. And yeah, he was a sort of smarmy, evil politician. And, you know, the fact that he's, uh, again, I'm not certain if he has any relationship to a comic character but i enjoyed him as an inclusion in this movie i like the idea that there's this sort of smarmy guy who's related to hector hammond who's behind this government agency who's funding it uh, through congress and it it worked for it i thought he he portrayed the role of this this evil politician really well yeah you know i also have to say one of the one of the biggest disappointments in this movie is that there is no sequel with sinestro with the yellow ring because to get that reveal after the the first run of credits of him putting on the ring and smiling, which he didn't really do the rest of the movie. He was very serious the whole movie. Mm -hmm. And that, that makes me want to watch Green Lantern 2, Hal Jordan versus Sinestro, and they never made it. Yeah, well, <laughs> I think the problem with that is that Sinestro putting on the ring really wasn't deserved. There was really mm. no reason for him putting on the ring. And if there is another negative I could say about the movie is that the development of the relationship between Hal and Sinestro was just so minimal mm -hmm. you, you really didn't get any of sinestro's backstory why he'd want to you know have this ring that's based off fear rather than will you know sinestro is an interesting villain especially and again i'm harkening back to to the late 90s with the emerald dawn 2 plus with you know what jeff johns has done with him and secret uh not secret files but secret origin so there's a lot of good to be called from the idea of sinestro and as much as i would love to see how go up against sinestro in the second green lantern movie the fact that it was just put there at the end with no no real reasoning behind it you know kind of diminishes him putting on the ring for me yeah it was basically a throwaway scene 
It was, we know you want it. Here it is. Yeah, it kind of, it kind of felt, and I hate to say this, it kind of felt like DC saying, well, Marvel does all these, uh, you know, after credit sequences. We'll do one as well. And we'll have Sinestro putting on the ring and that'll get everyone excited for the next movie, which unfortunately now we know it's going to be a reboot. Right. But hopefully it's a reboot with Jon Stewart because I prefer him as a Green Lantern myself. You know, uh, do you want to talk a little about the, uh, the, sure. the Green Lantern in the next Green Lantern movie? I would like to see Jon Stewart as well. Now, personally, Personally, uh, you know, as as would be no surprise to anyone, <laughs> I would love to see a Guy Gardner or Kyle Rayner movie. But unfortunately, you really can't do Guy Gardner or Kyle Rayner because they rely so heavily on the characters of Hal Jordan. Mm-hmm. So you have to have a Hal Jordan movie before you could have either of those characters. But I think Jon Stewart would be an interesting idea. I think he's... Probably to the modern fans, he's probably more recognizable, specifically because of the uh, DC animated universe output and uh, you know the work that he's or the work that the character has done in the Justice League and Justice League Unlimited. I don't know whether they're going to go that route. I would love to see Jon Stewart in the film. I would mm. love to see maybe Hal Jordan be the Green Lantern, since we've got this sort of origin story about out in the way that the Green Lantern movie just be Green Lantern doing something. Um, I'm wondering if they're going to have hints of Green Lantern in, in any of the other DC movies coming out. Dawn of Justice will be out before that. I think even the two Justice League movies will be out before the Green Lantern movie. So if Green Lantern isn't included in those, I'll be surprised. So for the 2020 version of the Green Lantern movie, I would just like to see that be a Green Lantern story and not have to go back to the origin again. Right, yeah, I I much prefer... I mean, there are some times where you need an origin story, and, you know, this, one, this is one of those things where people would have a little bit of an inkling now, especially if there's a Green Lantern appearance, like in Dawn of Justice, which is basically going to be the everybody's getting a cameo movie, I think, the way the way it seems to be going. Mm-hmm. But I prefer, it, especially now, and it could just be the uh, grumpy old comic fan coming out, but I would prefer to get bits and pieces coming in during the movie rather than a full-on origin. And the, the movie I, I can point to that did it extremely well is Tim Burton's Batman. That is not an origin movie. That's Batman's already operating, and you get little flashes of, oh, his parents were killed. Oh, it happens to be the Joker, but that's another conversation. But that was the one that broke the Superman mold. It was not a, we're taking him from a kid and showing what happened to him, and now he's Batman. No, he was Batman at the beginning of the movie. Mm -hmm. And if DC could do more like that, and then you just, like, he... If it's Hal Jordan or John Stewart or Guy Gardner or Kyle Rayner or whoever, Green Lantern just shows up at the beginning of the movie and he's doing stuff. And then maybe a flashback or two or just exposition. Talk, well, how did you get the ring? Well, you, it's weird. You know, this little blue guy actually showed up behind a bar with the ring and gave it to me. <laughs> oh, I would and that's so all you need. <laughs> yeah, yeah. That that's the that's the aspect that I would like to see in the film because, and I think. I want to say with uh, directors, and I don't think that that he would be a good director for a DC film, but with directors like Quentin Tarantino, who have the storytelling ability to tell stories out of sequence Mm. and give flashbacks and such, that would be a great way to tell it rather than having the sort of linear, well, we started him as a child and he had this horrible uh, accident where he lost his father and then he uh, grew up doing this and then he was selected, you know, he met this alien who gave him a ring and everything 
if we could have those sort of flashback things. And I think DC kind of tried to work that in to the last Superman movie, mm-hmm. having having the story not be specifically a, you know, it was an origin story. It was Clark finding out that he was Superman, but it didn't necessarily start at the beginning as him as a kid. Yeah, and, and I, I thought they did a good job with that, with yeah, the flashbacks, I, because they, they emphasized a particular point of where he was as an adult. Looking back, this is how he formed that opinion as a kid. Exactly. And I think if they could do that in, in subsequent films, let, let them tell a story rather than be nailed to telling an origin story, I think that could have worked. You know, you have your story going on, but you can have flashbacks to the origin to help relate to people who are not specifically knowledgeable about this character to, to, to give them some basis of knowing where this person came from. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and they did a little bit of that with this movie, getting back to the actual topic at hand, uh, where you see Hal as a kid with his dad as a flashback. Unfortunately, it's one big, long flashback at one point, you know, rather than little tidbits here and there. But it's it's something. You, you didn't have his father die at the very beginning of the movie. You had, oh, here's Hal, he's a screw-up. You know, go into all this, and then you know, then fear gripped him while you and destroyed the plane, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. Yeah, and I and and again, it comes back to what we were talking to at the beginning is one of our negatives that it instilled that idea that Hal is fallible and fearless, and this is one of the things that he keeps coming back to that that diminishes him as, as a character. I understand that I understand that we don't want him to be completely fearless to, for him to be afraid, but at times in the movie he. Can came off as just kind of a wuss yeah and that's not how i view hal jordan and that's not how i would view any green lantern you know even even kyle rayner who did not have the selection process that technically the green lantern core was supposed to have you never in the comics saw him as afraid as you do see hal jordan in this movie so i think that is one of the big negatives for for this film and I guess the, the question becomes, we ha- we basically have two big negatives, Hal Jordan's characterization and Parallax. Yes. Do the positives of the movie, which is the whole Green Lantern Corps, the, the actors themselves, etc., do those positives outweigh the two big negatives? In my opinion, yes. <laughs> You know, I don't think that this is a great film. I'm not going to hold this up to the Richard Donner Superman. Mm-hmm. Uh, I'm not going to hold this up to many of the Marvel movies, say the Avengers or you know Guardians of the Galaxy or the first Iron Man movie. I, I understand that what they were trying to do. I think this is what you could say would be a a flawed attempt at trying to make a superhero movie that was much lighter and much more much more accessible, but just got bogged down in in trying to relate to the minutiae of the comic at the time. The emphasis of trying to bring in the Jeff John storyline, especially Parallax, was what diminished this film. It doesn't make it a bad film, but it doesn't put it up there as, you know, one of the ones that you will say, oh, we've got to go see this again. You know, it, it doesn't have necessarily the rewatchability that, say, Guardians of the Galaxy or Captain America Winter Soldier would have. Right. Yeah, I, I would classify this as a decent movie. You know, it, it's a movie that if, I, if I'm if i going to have it on, it's fine. It's not something I'm going to actively avoid. And there are a few out there that I do actively avoid. But this one, you know, watching it twice in the past few days, just, you know, to take my notes and re-familiarize myself with it, I found myself enjoying certain parts 
parts of it, and you know there are the complaints, but I would say that the the positives, especially anything on Oa, outweighs any negatives in the movie. Yeah, and anytime that there is Green Lantern action going on, the movie succeeds. When he's on Oa, when he's making constructs, the the fight scene in the uh, alien operating room, mm-hmm. the fight scene at the end with uh, Parallax, especially on Earth where he's throwing up the constructs and everything, those are superlative. Those are great Green Lantern moments. But when when you have the human interaction and parallax, I think that's what brings the movie down, unfortunately. Yeah, yeah. I would say anyone who, and sorry for the spoilers if you haven't seen this yet, <laughs> but then again, why are you listening to this if you haven't seen this movie yet? If you haven't, or you haven't seen it since it was out in the theaters, I would say... Give it a give it another watch. You know, uh, I seem to be doing that a lot lately, telling yeah. people to give movies another watch. Well, an interesting thing was, and I think Michael Bailey commented on this uh, at the time of this uh, show being recorded, that recently on the FX network, this movie was playing. And I, it was interesting that you contacted me because, you know, I had just watched the movie on FX as well. And I was like, you know, the movie's not that bad. It's it's an enjoyable movie to watch. And uh, it was my wife who was actually flipping through the channels and, and started to watch it because my wife loves to mock me about my uh, comic book loves. <laughs> so she's like, ooh, it's the Green Lantern. Does he the, Is he the one who says Shazam? And I was like, no. Oh, boy. <laughs> oh, is he the one in the red in the red cape and the red underoos? No. <laughs> so no, no, it's a red shirt and purple cape, actually. Yes, <laughs> but that's for another movie. Yes, it, well, I would love to see that movie. <laughs> <laughs> Make that movie now. I know Scott Gardner and Michael Bailey will pay for it. <laughs> <laughs> all right well i think we've uh, beaten this sufficiently into the ground um why don't you tell the the kind folks the multitude of podcasts they can find you on sean oh good lord let me try and think of it well primarily and very germane to this discussion that we've had today i do a podcast called just one of the guys over at the two true freaks network it's a uh, podcast covering the 90s to 2000s uh, version of green lantern and specifically i'm focusing on my uh, two favorite characters who are kyle rayner and guy Gardner. Both of whom didn't show up in this movie at all, which could also be a reason why the movie wasn't good, because any movie that has Guy Gardner in it is going to be awesome. <laughs> in my opinion. Uh, I also do uh, a couple of other podcasts over at Two True Freaks. I do Listen to the Prophets, which is a Deep Space Nine podcast. Uh, we're covering all the episodes of Deep Space Nine from the beginning, much to Scott Gardner's chagrin. <laughs> I do that with uh, Andrew Leyland and Paul Spataro. I also do Walking Dead Wednesday, where we cover Walking Dead comics and Walking Dead TV show. That's with uh, Chris Honeywell and uh, Bill Robinson. I do uh, the Tangent Universe podcast, Parallel Lines, which isn't on the Two True Freaks Network, and that is about the DC Comics Tangent Universe uh, comics, which came out in the late 90s, where they took the names of known superheroes and let uh, some fantastic writers like Dan Jurgens and uh, John Ostrander, Ron Mars, etc., take those characters and just write completely alternate takes on them. Uh, that's been a lot of fun. You can check that out over at greatcrypton.com. I do Who True Freaks. I do the uh, Vault of Startling Monster Horror Tales of Terror, again with Chris Honeywell, Hair Metal Hero, and uh, 
Luke Giaconetti. Trying to think anything else that I do. I'm certain there's other things that I do that I'm forgetting. But uh, most of the stuff you can find me over at is at twotruefreaks.com. That is where, of course, uh, this show is and where the rest of your excellent shows are as well, Gene. And which ones are those being? That would be, be, unfortunately, the uh, much-missed Quantum Cast, as well as Legend of the Superheroes, (laughs) Anime Freaks, and uh, the Hammer Strikes podcast. All excellent shows which you should all check out over at 2 And if you're not checking it out, how the hell do you get here? <laughs> <laughs> that is surprising. You know, if this just shows up randomly in your feed for no reason, I don't understand that. But good on you for at least finding it. It means I paid off the right computer programmer. Exactly. <laughs> and I'm, I have to point out, Quantum Cast is coming back this year. Yay! We had some behind-the-scenes issues that have been ironed out. It will happen, hopefully soon. We, we shall see. I'm looking forward to that because, you know, it'll be nice to have another uh, superhero with jewelry that does amazing things on the Future <laughs> Freaks Network. Take some of the emphasis off of uh, of your show. <laughs> yeah, well, unfortunately, because my show is an indexing show and I'm just mm. doing, you know, a specific run on the comic, coming up later this year will be will be the end of Just One of the Guys. You know, I will come to the final issue of uh, Green Lantern from that era and it'll be, it'll be over, so... Yeah, after that, it'll be nice to have another superhero character with magical jewelry on the show or okay. on the network. Well, okay, now I have a deadline. We have to get Quamcast back up by the end of the end of the year. Yes, there you go. <laughs> All right. Well, thank you very much, Sean. I really appreciate you coming on talking about this movie. I was I was extremely glad to do it. I'm glad that you had me on. Thank you again. I appreciate it, Gene. All right, and we'll see everybody next time. Bye. Legends of the Superheroes is a production of thehammerstrikes.com and focuses on examining live-action versions of superheroes. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions, please send an email to legends at thehammerstrikes.com. Please look for The Hammer Strikes on Facebook and Google+. Part of the Two True Freaks Internet Radio Network.